Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. Today, I am joined by a guest, Susan North, and we're going to be talking about solutions to sibling fighting. And I'm really excited about diving into this topic. So I'll start off first with telling you a bit about Susan. Susan North has been working with children and their families since completing UC Berkeley's early childhood education program in 1971. Her professional experience includes teaching and administration for Head Start, running parent-toddler programs, and directing full-day preschools. She was a master teacher with LA Unified Parent Education Division. More recently, Susie became trained in mediation and facilitation through the LA City Attorney's Office Dispute Resolution Program, Ken Cloak's Center for Dispute Resolution, and Sentinella Youth Services. She opened her mediation practice in 2007 and now divides her time doing conflict resolution, parent education, parent coaching, blogging, teaching school-aid kids to be peer mediators, and volunteering with Southern California Family Mediation in the Child Dependency Courts. She is the author of The Opposite of Combat, a parent's guide for teaching siblings how to collaborate and solve their own conflicts. Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast, Susie. Thank you so much, Bevan. It's great to be here. Well, as I said, I am really excited to have you on the show today to talk about solutions to sibling conflict. Um, I'm a mom to four myself, and I'm no stranger to navigating sibling conflict with my own children. And also, it's a topic that comes up a lot in my parent coach practice. And Right now, for parents, particularly those who have more than one child, they can all relate to this issue, this topic, and especially during a global pandemic where so much of the world has kids at home and they're around each other all day long, remote learning and homeschooling and parents who are sometimes working full-time or part-time. So it's safe to assume that there is maybe more conflict occurring and then more opportunity to address it and manage it. So your book honestly could not have been released from my perspective at a better time. So what led you to want to write a book on the topic of sibling conflict in the first place? Well, I think it was an opportunity for me to sort of braid together my three passions, um, uh, child development, um, which I've been doing all my professional life, parent education, and uh, mediation. It just seemed like the three practices wove themselves together into this book. And I was really happy to come upon the idea of a, um, a way to remember the steps in mediation, 
which is the opposite of combat. If you take that word and turn it around, you have T-A-B-M-O-C. And that's an acronym for all the steps in mediation. Talk, acknowledge, brainstorm, mull over, and then, of course, organize and contract. So, you know, when you're in the heat of battle <laughs> with kids and everyone's feelings are uh, on, on high, it's, it's nice to have a mnemonic device to kind of take you back to the steps that will lead to, uh, hopefully, lead to a, a peaceful resolution. That's really, really awesome. And especially that acronym, it is so great to be able to have something to kind of recall when you're in the middle of something, like you said. And sometimes we're like grasping for, what am I supposed to do? What are the steps? And all of that. Um, I wanted to take the opportunity real quick to read the description of the book from the book cover um, so we can give listeners an overview of the topics addressed in your book, and then we can dig in a little deeper and have you help us understand some of the content um, that you cover in the book. So from the book cover, it states, the opposite of combat bridges the disciplines of child development and parent education with mediation, bringing parents and caregivers the knowledge and skills necessary to help children of all ages navigate their own conflicts, collaborate to solve their own problems, deepen their sibling relationships, and develop trust and confidence in their decision-making abilities. Written by mediator and parent educator Susan North, this book helps parents resolve sibling disputes using time-honored conflict resolution techniques. Parents and caregivers will learn a step-by-step protocol enlivened by real-world conflict scenarios. Included are tips for making mediation work, as well as common-sense tools for improving everyday family communication. Yeah, sign me up. It's such a great book, and just listening to what you cover there, so many people just in the everyday world aren't familiar with the practices of conflict mediation, something that you know well because you've been trained in it and applying it to parenting, I think is just a brilliant idea. So thank you for writing this book and bringing this knowledge to all of us. So first and foremost, who is your book intended to? Which age group of children um, does your book apply to? Oh, it it would apply to very young kids. I'd say starting around one and a half when kids are barely verbal, all the way through the age where they're ready to be launched to go out into the world, 18 or so. Um, you know, it's and like anything else, it's easier if you start when they're young um, because it becomes just sort of more normalized as part of your family life. But I would definitely, if I had teenagers who were squabbling, I would definitely give this a try because, um, you know, as kids get older, their conflicts get more complex. And uh, I think teenagers could benefit from it tremendously. I feel like all people could benefit, including, you know, <laughs> conflict between, you know, spouses and significant others and thinking about new ways to kind of manage um, conflict. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So this is basically a how-to book. So how do you connect theory with practice? Um, I'd say about two-thirds of the book is made up of scenarios. So I sort of unpack at the beginning of the book, well, this is what a mediation looks like and give you sort of the, the bones of it, the uh, anatomy of a mediation. But then um, there's a, roughly a dozen scenarios that are actual sort of scripts of mediations. So you could see the different forms it might take. Um, you know, with very young kids, it might be very quick. <laughs> And with older kids, it might be more complex. It might have more pieces and parts. But 
uh, I wanted to show the, the uh, application of the principles in real life situations so that um, you can really see how it plays out at different ages and stages and with different temperaments. Definitely. I, I found that and I thought it was so helpful that you provided those scenarios in your book because a lot of times parents you know, when you were talking to them, or are you doing some um, parent coaching or parent education? Like it all sounds good, but then parents are like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. But how do I do it in the moment? <laughs> what does that look right. like? Right. What does this look like? Mm -hmm. And I try to give a whole bunch of different uh, uh, viewpoints and views of what it might look like as it plays out. Wonderful. So when we were first introduced and chatted, as I shared with you then, I wanted to make sure that your book and the strategies that you share in your book would be in line with the philosophy that I share and work with at the 3D Parent and on my podcast. And I realized through our conversation pretty quickly that it definitely did. Could you share with us in your own words, how does the practice of teaching children how to mediate sibling disputes fit with the philosophies of the 3D parent. Oh, Bevan, I agree that it's a really good fit. Um, and I really love the three pillars of dignity and direction and deep connection. I think that really covers most of what needs to be covered. Um, I think that um, mediation relates to dignity because every mediation, I mean, you could be up to your eyeballs in sand, in the sandbox, but it's, it's a dignity, it's, it's, it's a ceremony of respect. Even with, you know, a one-and-a-half-year-old and a, a five-year-old squabbling in the sandbox, it is a ceremony of respect. You're respecting both children, um, how they feel about a situation, what their wants and needs are. Each one feels heard. Each one gets to express. And also to somehow state what the other's feeling, even if the child is very young or pre-verbal, you might speak for them. But working it out that way, they each feel that their own person is respected. And I think that's really important. Um, as far as direction is concerned, uh, a mediation is a guided conversation. You know, the sort of traditional go-to when two kids come squabbling and crying is to arbitrate and say, well, you do this and you do that, or he's right, she's wrong, or whatever. That would be, in my view, too directive for a lot of situations. Sometimes you have to arbitrate, and there's nothing wrong with arbitrating in certain situations. But the opportunity to mediate gives you, as the parent, a chance to not have to weigh in, not have to be a referee or a judge, but just to give guidance and direction to a process that the kids themselves will be um, enacting. They will be doing the heavy lifting, coming up with ideas, brainstorming solutions, making choices, negotiating with your help. So you're kind of guiding them. And then, of course, deep connection. When you talk about feelings and situations like this a lot with kids, you get to know them better. You get to know your own kids. They get to know you. They get to know each other. So a mediation is an opportunity for a lot of deep connection. That's, I totally agree. And I really love, it's so common that parents kind of fall into that, you know, feeling like they need to be the judge and jury to hear both sides and then decide you're right, you're wrong. And how that can lead, you know, down to a path of a lot more disruption and a lot more conflict down the road. Um, yes. And puts parents in a position that we don't want to be in. <laughs> right. And the other, the other pitfall of doing a lot of arbitrating all the time is that it traps the kids. They have to keep coming to you. Um, I have a friend with grown daughters who involve her in all their little squabbles, you know, and that's a kind of a weird dynamic. But the fact is, 
you know, you want to wean them. And I think that mediation it has much more of a weaning element because as they get the skills that they don't get when you arbitrate, they will gradually begin to solve their own conflicts more skillfully and without your involvement. It's really important to have that in mind. There, you know, there's a school, there's a group of parents who get really involved and then they sometimes fall into that you know, judge and jury role we just talked about. And then there's other schools of parents who sometimes think, well, I'm just going to leave my kids to their own devices. They'll figure it out themselves. And I don't want to overly get involved. And that can be problematic also, because like you said, there's different temperaments of kids. There's um, things that are outside the realm of what they can actually navigate on their own without some support, without a guide, without someone to kind of show them basically how one can disagree and come to some resolutions in a way that's respectful. And, you know, throwing little kids out there on their own too soon could also be problematic. So I love that you've kind of provided here a bit of a roadmap and some direction that can also help provide dignity, you know, in terms of them being able to learn how to respectfully disagree and share their viewpoints. And then also can be something ultimately that is connecting. Um, so yeah, I think this really, really, um, hits the mark of, of a uh, technique that can be really, really in line with the 3D parent approach. So I wanted to take a moment here um, from your book, from one of your early sections in the book, you, um, you share ways in which mediation is different from other methods of dealing with sibling conflict. Do you wanna talk about that a little bit first and then I'm gonna maybe read a little bit in um, to the, the podcast from your book, but how is mediation different from other methods of dealing with sibling conflict? You know, just first, if you could tackle that. Well, um, mediation puts the power in the hands of the two parties who are having the dispute and takes the power out of the hands of the mediator. Um, obviously, you're the parent, so they can't they can't come up with a solution that violates the family code in any way, and they know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, it 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 shifts the roles a little and puts more responsibility on the kids. Um, I think it also calms them more than an arbitrated decision. I mean, arbitrated decisions can be infuriating because usually you have a winner and a loser. And one kid is, let's face it, one, one's gloating and one's looking for revenge after a win-lose arbitrated decision. So that to me looks like a setup for further conflict. And I've seen this. I mean, I used to mediate in small claims court and I saw this with neighbor-neighbor disputes where the judge would bang the gavel and say, you win, you lose. And I knew that those two neighbors weren't going to be at peace after that because of the sort of gloating, revenge-seeking dynamic that an arbitrated decision sets up. That makes sense. So would you say that in general that uh, mediation is harder or easier? I think that it's harder to learn how to do than just deciding. You know, you can always pull a decision out of your back pocket. That's probably what your parents did and all your teachers when kids were squabbling. So it's usually not hard to lay down the law, unquote. Uh, and by the way, I'm not talking about disciplinary situations. I'm talking about when kids are squabbling and you have no vested interest in the outcome. Um, it's, it's harder to learn and harder to enact. It's more time consuming. But in a funny way, it isn't because over time, you find that the kids start doing it themselves. As we talked about that whole weaning process. So when that happens, first of all, you get richer results, I think, than an arbitrated outcome. and. There is that natural weaning. It's almost like the old, the old saw about shoes. You know, you can tie their shoes every day, or you can teach them how to tie their shoes, and then you're free of tying shoes. 
So by taking the time and the trouble to learn to mediate and to do it, and you'll do it better and better each time, you have many opportunities for a redo, um, and you get good at it, you will find that you're actually buying some time at the other end because they will become more conflict competent, which is a term I love and I did not make it up. It was uh, created by two workplace mediators named Flanagan and Rundy. And I love, I love the term conflict competent because it says that conflict is normal and it says that it's something you can get good at. I love that too. Conflict competent and thinking about what a wonderful goal to have for our children. We're thinking about all the ways in which we, you know, try to support them in their maturation journeys. It's something I talk all out ad nauseum on the 3D parent and with my client that like, what can we do to support them as they continue to grow and develop and mature in thinking about all the ways in which many people in our world, adult people did not grow and mature or gain the skills necessary to be conflict competent or other things of that nature. So that is, that is such a great skill. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. So I, I really appreciate, Susie, that you, that you said that it can in ways be harder because a lot of times when I'm working with clients or when I'm parenting, there, there would be an easier way sometimes to deal with issues, uh, behavior issues with my kids. It could be a lot easier just to control them and just take away a privilege or issue some type of a punishment and not actually address the underlying cause of the behavior problems that frankly is in the moment easier, but in over the long term, if we're not addressing the causes of behavior problems in our children, we're just constantly on this wheel of just doling out rewards and punishments and bribes and parenting very much in a way that is not conducive to our children maturing. And so, yeah, it does sometimes feel harder. And parents sometimes are looking for the quick fix solution to discipline issues, or in this case, of course, conflict issues. And, you know, doing sometimes the the less easy in the moment or at the beginning method can play out and in the long run, get you more like where you're trying to go <laughs> with more ki kids who are better able to handle conflict eventually with less support, but it's got to start somewhere with you maybe being more hands-on and, and offering that guide as you have shared. Um, so I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to read in a little bit. Um, I just wanted to read this section in the beginning of your book where you identify what mediation looks like, um, because I think it gives um, a good I, I kind of background and a quick kind of uh, snapshot for parents to be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like something that I want to put into my toolbox when I am handling issues and conflict with my kids. So mediation looks for a win-win outcome. Mediation humanizes the conflict partner. Mediation encourages authenticity. Mediation looks for overlapping interests. Mediation repositions the kids to feel it's you and me against the problem. Mediation allows the parent to facilitate neutrally without judging or refereeing. Mediation has the power to put certain conflicts to rest. Mediation teaches children to be conflict competent and conflict independent. Mediation deals with more than the tip of the iceberg. Mediation is likelier to produce compliance than an arbitrated decision. Mediation accepts channels 
and diffuses strong emotions. And mediation helps forceful personalities learn to compromise and teaches meeker types to stand the ground. I really, really loved all of those kind of reasons that you offered the reader um, to basically look at mediation and how it could really be beneficial in managing sibling conflict. And that last one really, really struck me because it made me think back to my early parenting years when I, I got four kids, as I already shared, and uh, my listeners know, um, and of my four kids, I would say that I have two that very easily fit that description of forceful personalities, my firstborn and my thirdborn. And then I have one that I would say be a bit meeker, at least was when he was younger and just very easily dominated um, and would lose every single squabble if that were allowed to happen. Um, with his older sister, and then my youngest, who I would describe as maybe flexibly forceful in that she's a bit more flexible than my third born, who is the next closest in age to her. But she's real forceful, but she also can be more flexible, which I really appreciate because my goodness, you know, there's, there's a lot of personalities in my household and therefore lots of opportunities for conflict. Um, but, but going back to my early years as a parent, my first two kids, when they would fight with my firstborn child being so incredibly forceful, she would just dominate and just reduce my secondborn son to tears on a regular basis. And I kind of didn't know how to kind of help my um, younger, my secondborn kind of not always end up, you know, on the receiving end and like the losing end of all the conflict. And so what I did, kind of not knowing any better at the time, this is pre my education in, um, you know, in becoming a parent coach and child development, I, I thought, well, gosh, what I need to do is I just need to help my second born and be better at fighting. And so I would literally sit quietly out of sight from my older child and she'd be hurling an insult or yelling something at him. And I would just whisper to him the next comeback, the next insult. She'd be, you're stupid. And I would feed to him, um, you're more stupid. And he would say it back. And I was trying to empower him to be able to stand up to his sister, but basically just by teaching him how to add more fuel to an already out of control fire. And so I wonder, had I had, I had this approach or access to these tools back then, what, what would you have suggested that I do to try and help my children get out of this kind of area of one being super forceful and one being meeker and that always kind of dissolving into the same pattern when they got into conflict. Um, it made me laugh because it's, it's, it's such a natural um, inclination to sort of, you know, want to enable the child who's less forceful. And sometimes in, in just doing that, we make them feel even less powerful, you know, it's so funny, or sad, or both. But yes, I know. Um, it, was, it was quite <laughs> tragic. I, I did think it was a little bit hilarious when I'd be like, "No, you're a poopy head," um, <laughs> you know, age-appropriate insults. But I right. knew at the same time, instinctively, it didn't feel quite right. But it was kind of what I had to go off of at that moment. Um, but yeah, so so what what would be your advice to somebody who has a similar dynamic between their children? Well, mediators use power balancing and, uh, you know, no two parties in a mediation are equally powerful or forceful. Um, if one person is loud and, uh, you know, says everything in capital letters and the other person is more meek and soft spoken and maybe doesn't elaborate as much when you're doing the active listening part of mediating, you can sort of turn down the volume on one and turn up the volume on the other. 
Um, you know, you could say to the less forceful one, you know, Jonathan, you said you were upset, but to me, it looked like you were absolutely furious. Is that true? And, you know, they'll cop to it. Kids will, they'll catch you. If you say, were you disappointed? They'll, no, nah, I was more frustrated. You know, kids are really pretty good at, if they've had a lot of emotion words in their life, which mediation brings out, of course, um, they're pretty good at copying to emotions or correcting you. But saying something, um, when somebody says something in big capital letters, you can say it back smaller. So, you know, somebody goes on in a big tirade. So, so you were upset that he, uh, that he said that, you know, that's power balancing. It's sort of writing what they say in the same font, if you will. Um, there's all sorts of ways. Sometimes you do need to speak a little bit more about the feelings of one who's less, who's more reticent and do a little more probing. But it's sort of like an equal time, equal weight, equal respect situation that you can manage a little bit in a mediation. I think that's such a great perspective and way to think about it in terms of you, the media, the person that's helping the the mediation and kind of guiding this, particularly when you've got young kids and a power balance issue to be able to kind of neutralize and bring one down a bit and dial one up a bit. That's such a great suggestion, um, which I guess in some backwards way I was trying to do, but not in a way that was productive. <laughs> it's, the impulse is so understandable. And, you know, I also want to say I really believe that temperament is baked in. I, I don't really think that um, we can turn lions into lambs or lambs into lions um and we shouldn't try but i do think that for a kid who's forceful learning to listen learning to take the perspective of the other person to give credit when other kids have great ideas all of those things really help that kid to be maybe a really great leader you know to use that forcefulness for good and i think that even the meekest person the most quiet easygoing person who we all know that person who, when everybody's arguing over what restaurant to go to, they just don't care. They don't even want to vote, you know, because they're easygoing and they'll let the others duke it out. That person still in adulthood or in late childhood needs to know that when they really have to say something because it's something ethical that matters to them or something that a stand that they need to take about themselves in some way um, of their own needs and wants, that kid has got to learn to stay, you know, stand their ground when it really, really matters. Most of the time they can be easygoing and reticent or whatever, which is natural to them, but they need the skill of speaking up and speaking out when it's really, really important. Absolutely. And I could see through this method how that could really help the child who is a little bit more soft-spoken to be able to find their voice and exactly. for themselves, which is wonderful. And what we'd want for that child not to always feel like they have to defer to others you have a chapter in your book on what you call collateral benefits of mediation. Could you share a little bit about that, what, what that's about? Sure. Um, I think that the foremost thing is the idea of, hey, this works. You know, when you guide them through a lot of mediations, they really see how a conflict can be resolved peacefully. Um, they start to see that active listening works. They start to see how iMessages work. They get to see that if they can keep their demeanor calm and uh, reflect back to what the other person is, is thinking and wanting, it calms their opponent. Who doesn't want to calm an opponent, right? Right. I also think it helps with emotion regulation because they start to see the benefit of calming down and settling down and discussing things instead of, you know, just yelling or hitting or hurling insults. Um, 
it contributes greatly to a kid's development of emotional literacy because one of the main questions we act is, how did you feel when he said that? And they may need some help with the emotion words. I have pages of emotion words in the book because there's, you know, our language is rich with words for how we're feeling. And I want kids to hear those words and know them and get to be friendly with them and um, find them useful. I think it helps with empathy building. Kids are not naturally good at taking someone else's perspective because they are developmentally, young kids are developmentally very self-centered and that's appropriate. But as they mature, they do develop a sense of being able to take someone else's perspective, not to necessarily agree, but to say, I see, you know, you, the way you look at this is such and such, and to be able to state the other person's position. And that leads to empathy. Um, also, just negotiation skill. You know, people have to be able to identify their needs and wants to separate their positions from their interests, which is tricky. Position is what I want. Interest is why I want it. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, you can really guide yourself to saying, what do I absolutely have to take away from this conflict? And what can I put on the table in return? What can I let go of? You know, what do I absolutely have to have? And what, what could I concede on? And when you've got that, you've got a resolution. Absolutely. And talk about like you, like you, your whole book is guiding towards this, this, these being skills that are, that go beyond the household, that go beyond sibling conflicts that could impact a child and how they, you know, interact with others out in the world and eventually, you know, bring to perhaps uh, their own relationships. Um, and it just can have a, a huge impact, which is, which is really uh, admirable in terms of a, a book and a philosophy of um, something that can have such a huge impact. And uh, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is what kind of impact do you hope to make with your book and with the work you do both as a parent educator and as a mediator? Well, I think you kind of um, just stated that in a way, which is that we want kids to be conflict competent and to go out into the world with that skill. Um, we've all known someone who was an amazing, uh, amazingly conflict competent. Maybe it was a a coworker or a boss, if we're really, really lucky, or, you know, a, a romantic partner or a roommate, somebody who could see that there was a difficulty and come to you and just with an open heart and a willingness to work on it, say, hey, we seem to have a problem here. Why don't we just, you know, talk about this and get it, get it settled? Um, it, it's so magical when somebody has that ability. And, you know, as they go out into the world, I think conflict competent kids, you know, they'll make excellent friends and roommates, colleagues, spouses, parents, community members. I mean, they'd just be better citizens of the world, I think. I totally agree. And I kind of wish that we could get this information to the hands of everybody, <laughs> somehow get it and, and just spread it even further, because I agree it, it impacts all aspects of life, not just family relationships. But, you know, let's start with a home. Let's start with our children. Let's start with helping them become more conflict competent and be able to grow it from there. So how can people learn more about you and your book and your work? Oh, thank you. Well, my Facebook page is the book's title, The Opposite of Combat. And uh, we are actually just starting a discussion group. If you look on the Opposite of Combat Facebook page and go to groups, uh, you can join our discussion group, which is going to get cranking very soon. Um, I also have the blog that sort of accompanies the book called Squabble Fest, which is a good place to just get sort of the basic outlines of the book. It's sort of the quickie version of the book, and it's called squabblefest.com. 
I also have northpairedcoaching.blogspot.com, which is my blog for more general topics of child rearing. I mean, I talk about things like how to deal with the death of a pet and how to pick a preschool and, you know, just a variety of topics related to early childhood education. Wonderful. A wealth of information. I always like to, at the end of my podcast, ask my podcast guests a question related to connecting with your family. So I'd love to know, Susie, what do you do um, with your family? What do you like to do to connect to one another? And this could be either now as mother of grown children and a grandmother or thinking back to when you were raising children of your own. My, th- my thoughts always go back to uh, uh, a place in the Sierra where we used to go when the kids were small, uh, the little cabin by a lake that we would rent every summer for a week. And that's kind of my happy place. And we still try to get back there every year or two. Um, and it's fun to see my granddaughter, you know, learning to skip rocks and just being so independent out in the wild, you know, the way my kids could when they were small, which of course, growing up in a big city, they never had that chance at home. So, you know, getting to relive that and watch her enjoy it and just sitting around at night playing Scrabble or making music together. Those are the things I have to say, I'm not really a holiday person that much. I really just love hanging out. That's my favorite thing with my kids is hanging out. <laughs> Getting together just because, not because there's an occasion or some some reason to celebrate outside of that. I love that. I, <laughs> I, I love having special places that you can continue to return to as families. We have that in my family as well. Um, well, I really appreciate you spending time with us today, Susie. I'm talking about solutions to sibling fighting and sharing about your book. I encourage my listeners to pick up a copy of The Opposite of Combat. It is just a wealth of information and could be a great resource for you to figure out how to help your family and your children navigate conflict. Thanks so much again for joining us. Thank you so much, Bevan. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at The3DParent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on The3D Parent Podcast.